What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Just Friends. As always, I'm your host, Mitchell Embry, and this week we are joined by our friend, the Honorable Reverend Bishop James Gribbins. So James is actually the pastor of the Lifesong Community Church, which is where I met him. I was a member of the Lifesong for a very long time. I think I was there from almost the very beginning. When I met James, he was looking for people who could play music in the worship band, and that was right at my alley. So I dove right in, and then I kind of spent the next 10 or 11 years or so of my life spending time with James and learning from him. And a lot of the things that I learned about music and sound engineering have translated directly into this podcast, including the microphone I'm talking into right now. So I really owe James a lot, and I really appreciate our conversation, and I think you guys will too. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, please take a moment to rate the show and leave us a review. I'm still looking for an awesome review or three that I can put on the website with a picture. Check out the website justfriendspod.com where there are links to listen to the newest episode and then all the other episodes. You can learn a little bit more about me and the podcast and how it came to be. And there are also links to the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Mitch Makes Podcasts, where you can become a patron of the show for as little as $5 a month. You can help keep this train a moving. We're making more progress every single week, guys. You know, you might say that this podcast kind of turned into a ad for the Lifesong Community Church and You know, I'm kind of okay with that because it is a place where I spent a lot of time. I really value the community there. Some of my best friends are still members of that church. Casey Ford, Chad Heiner, James Gribbins. And it's a great community of people in the south end of Louisville that I've invested in and who have invested in me. So if you identify as a Christian and you're the type of person who is interested in finding a place in the south end where you can plug in and invest back in your community, this is a place where you can do it, guys. So if you're interested, check it out. And uh, if you're on the fence about it, then give this podcast a listen, and maybe it'll help you make up your mind. So without further ado, I'm excited to present to you our conversation with Mr. James Gribbins. James, thank you so much for doing this. This is super fun. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you approached me and said, uh, you were jokingly saying, like, when you haven't asked me to be on. Because I didn't think I was your friend, so I never <laughs> in my um, imagined for a second that you would want to do this with me. Well, sure, why not? I don't know. I guess. Well, you know how I had the confidence to do something like this was kind of from watching you. Well, that's scary. Yeah. Well, I mean, it might be <laughs> weird for you to think about, but you're a pretty big influence on the person who I am as I sit here across from you right now. Well, well, that's interesting. Doesn't that make sense? Don't th- I, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's scary, but yeah. You think it's scary? <laughs> well, I mean, maybe it is scary to realize that you're an adult having an impact on the lives yeah. of other people. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's talk about Mitch. Yeah, we can do that. So, so see, I meet, I met Mitch when like what, 11, 12 years ago, right? Twelve yeah. years ago, I was nineteen, so it was twelve years ago. Twelve years ago, I meet Mitch, and he is in that category of the millennial. Yeah, I think I'm like an early millennial. Yeah, and I, and I gotten really where I don't like the term millennial because mm-hmm. it comes off so negative. Yeah, it does now, and and it really shouldn't. I mean, there needs to be a new name. But you know, you got that generation that came along and was very whatever, and you know, if something better comes along, we're going to do that. But then. See, we watched Mitch grow, and over the years, we saw him get his own house, and it was like, wow, this this kind of changed 
Mitchell because he comes and goes, man, owning a house is like, there's always something to do. There's always, I don't know if you remember that, but it was like, there's always something to repair. And that responsibility was just heavy, but you took it and you took it well. And then the next thing, this young lady comes into your life with this strawberry blonde, long hair. And she's like energetic, full of love. And she just changes your life. You know, Winifred. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Winifred comes into your life. And now it's like, I have a life that depends on me. Yeah. And we and literally we watched you grow with that aspect. Well, that was actually exactly what I was going to ask you about. Because having known myself and then Casey and mm -hmm. Chad, Dave, a lot of these guys who have been on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you and I met at that point in my life where the most change in myself as a person took place. From, mm -hmm. I mean, I wanted to say 19 to 31, but if I had to be honest, I'd probably say like 25 to 31. I mean, yeah, totally different. How how's that experience been like for you? Like to see all of us get older, or is it what you expected and what you anticipated? Or I guess, well, it's 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 kind of cool that you know I did a lot of studies on generations, and I talk about generations a lot, and I, it, it's because it's a cool subject to me. But your generation literally shifted in a major way, and so I saw all you guys. You know, I watched all of you all get married, have houses, all this stuff, start having kids. And you just saw this complete shift into whatever and to, no, we, we've got to do something. We're going to do something. You know, I'm going to get a career. I want to get a job. I've got a bride. I've got children. You know, I've got responsibilities. And you all took it very, very seriously, which at the beginning of the millennials, it was like. Jobs were like, we don't know what we're going to do because these kids don't care. They don't care about nothing. But now it's like you all are so devoted. It is super cool to watch you all grow into that. Mm -hmm. It's really, really neat. So how, how would you describe the differences between your generation and my generation? Because you, you came up in, in Shively, right? Yeah, Lively Shively. Like a stone's throw from where we are right now, probably. Like what, like a two-minute, three-minute drive maybe? Uh, yeah, something like it. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. And were you there? Because, I mean, I know from talking to Seth that your parents lived there pretty much mm -hmm. forever. So did you live there for your entire yeah, life? Yeah, that's across from Schaffner. There at Crumbs Lane and Burl. Uh-huh. Okay. We lived right there. And, uh, of course, you know, I was one of five. I was the youngest of five. So I pretty much slept in a pillowcase that hung <laughs> on the edge of the bed and slept there for a few years until my sister got her own room and then they allowed me to sleep under the bed. Nice. And then so but you know yeah we grew up there. I mean that's where I grew up. That was there right there in that stone house. And it's funny cuz people think we were rich. Yeah. Cuz we had a stone house, Bedford Stone House. Oh yeah. And yeah, I didn't ever think we were rich. I mean <laughs> there's no way. But uh so anyway, yeah, I grew right there. My brother's sister and um was there till I was 23, till I moved out. It's really interesting to hear you say that people thought you were rich and you were living in Shively, because I definitely don't think that that is a connotation that is still associated with that area. No, but you got to remember when Shively, you know, none of this where you're at, PRP, none of this was developed yet. Right. So when mom and dad built that house, I mean, it was like, that was a grand thing. Mm -hmm. And it's hard for us because now, you know, a grand house is... 
$350,000 and multiple rooms and, and it's a modest house. So it's, it's a little different for us to look at. So, yeah, I can understand that times, times have changed. We've become so much more extravagant, um, in, in what we think we need. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's something I've thought about a lot because of COVID because I had to really kind of assess, you know, like, what do I actually need? Mm-hmm. And I was like, hardly any of this stuff, like, to be perfectly honest. But do you still sit there and wonder where your money goes? No, I eat most of it. I'm certain. <laughs> I know exactly where it goes. It goes right in my gullet. Oh, um, my gosh. No, I know, I know where it goes. But, I mean, I definitely understand as an adult why little trivial expenses that my parents would try to avoid when I was younger. And I was like, why would you not want to do that? So, uh I I understand their priorities better. And it's been interesting making that transition into adulthood and having to kind of reconcile myself with like my parents and the decisions that they've made and then coming to realize that they're people and they're not perfect people. Um, that's been a really interesting and, and experience. And they may have actually known what they were talking about. They might have. They really might have known. Or they didn't have a clue, but that's okay because nobody else does anyway. That's right. So, okay. That's right. We try our best. So you can't. You grew up in Shively. Where'd you go to, like elementary and middle school and stuff like that? Well, did they for, do that then? Well, I know. Let's <laughs> show my age. So I went to Schaffner Elementary. Yeah, Schaffner Elementary, which was across the street from where we live, and then busing started. Okay. Now, see, I went to. We went to elementary school from first to sixth grade. Mm-hmm. That's what my dad did too. So high school, you started at seventh grade. We didn't have middle school, and. Um, so I was supposed to go to Butler, but that's when busing started. Now, for all you young folks out there, this was a big deal around here. You went to your neighborhood school, but neighborhood schools weren't being treated the same way, depending on which area of town you were in. So a lot of people in poor areas were getting less education, and people in Nice areas were getting the money and getting good education. So they decided we we're going to take kids and take them away from their neighborhood schools and we're going to bust them into different areas so all the schools can be equal. Well, man, I'm telling you, we had riots. We had things happen. It was it was crazy to live during that time. I mean, you think right now you're thinking this is crazy. For us, that was that was the first thing I remember of seeing riots happen where I live. Mm-hmm. So um, people throwing rocks at school buses, and that was crazy because they got kids on them, and they're yeah. throwing rocks at them, and it was it was kind of nutty. So anyway, mom and dad decided to send me to a private school, and it was the, the first year the Ninth and O started their private school. Um, a lot of people refer to it as Ninth and Nothing. You know, it could have been, but uh, so we started that. It was it was Ninth and O Baptist School. Then it turned into Ninth and O Christian School. Then it turned into Ninth and O Christian Academy. It was you know it was weird because I mean we didn't have a football team. You know we played schools like Beth Haven. So you know what do you do with that? And uh, so we didn't have a lot of schools we played sports with. Um, we didn't have proms or anything like that. They had dinners which I thought was just stupid. No dancing, I guess. No was... dancing was allowed. Yeah. And so it was just, I didn't go. I thought this is just stupid. I'm not going. Mm-hmm. And it it was just different. But, you know, a lot of people I'm still friends with from there. And they're, you know, they're my high school friends, my high school buddies. So. Is that where you met Barry? That's where I met Barry. Really? 
Matt Barry there. That's cool. Seventh grade. Is that still, is Ninth and O still a school? No. I didn't think. I'm it, not familiar with it. It closed up. Yeah. Well, politics got in the way. Religion got in the way. Sad to say. That's unfortunate. So here's the story. I meant to tell it. I should have told it this morning. Me and Barry talked about it afterwards. So if you missed church this morning, um, I talked about how me and Barry became friends. And it was weird because, you know, I didn't know him f- for nothing. And I said, you know, what, what really happened that we became friends was the school was in the education building of the church. And there was three floors. So you had to go down steps. There wasn't an elevator for us to take. Run up and down the steps. First day of school, bell rings, it's over. Every kid is wanting to get out of there as quick as possible. So we're booking down the steps. And there's this one girl. She is tall, skinny, lanky, kind of odd. But she is like yelling, running down the steps (laughs) from the third floor. Somebody on the second floor flings open the door and she just face plants it. Boom! At that point, we all just lost it. <laughs> I, like, I think that's when me and Barry kind of looked at each other and said, yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so that was a wonderful time. Yeah, it's nothing funnier than seeing somebody get hurt by accident. Oh, yeah. I mean, Americans great. Funniest Home Videos made tons Millions. of money. Doing oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> people just laughing at other people yeah. getting hurt. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Uh, that It's interesting to think about, you know, you're talking about busing and you were talking about, I guess, growing up in social upheaval and in like a, I suppose like a tumultuous climate. And it's hard to put that into context, you know, cause in my life there've been a few really big events. Like nine 11 was a huge thing yeah, and it happened when I was in middle school. So I didn't really understand it. And then now as an adult, like all of these interesting things are all happening all at the same time. And like, I didn't live through the civil rights movement, but that seems like something, you know, that was really, really positive and, and, and um, resulted in a lot of really meaningful change. And now we're kind of in something similar to that, but it seems a little bit different in the sense that it might not be a quite as positive. Hopefully it does end up being that way, but it's, and then you've also got COVID and you've got like wildfires. Well, you know, every year there's things happening. I mean, for me, I don't really remember Vietnam. Because I was so young at that point, but I do remember <laughs> seeing things on television. And I remember when the Vietnam War kind of came to, or the whatever you want to call it, came to an end. And I, I kind of remember that. And then, you know, we went on and we started having these other wars, but they were so different. There wasn't, there, it wasn't like anything we had seen before. Cause basically, when you look at the Iraq, Iraqian war, I mean, it was it was like we sent jets over, bombed everybody, and we got out. And I mean, that wasn't just it, but it was not really like Vietnam or the Korean War or World War One or two. It, it was so different because everything's done now through computers, and you know, you got missiles that fly halfway around the world, and it's just it's just different for us to see this stuff. So when nine eleven happens. You know, this is the first time we really see a terrorist attack of this magnitude happen in the United States. We're not supposed to be touchable. Yeah. You're not supposed to come over here. So that was that was huge. It was dramatic to see that happen. And then starting to seeing the little things happen at the Boston Marathon and different things. And it's like, okay, wait a minute. This is This is not a world we lived in before. So what do we do with this? And for your generation, it was normal. 
Yeah, it was normal, but I think that this is kind of my question. Does it seem less dramatic? Maybe dramatic's not the right word, but does it does it do you have more context because you have experienced these other grand events? Or does this seem like something novel? Like something brand new, like like a, a time with upheaval that's different than any other time in history. I, yeah, I think it is different. That's how I it mean, feels to I, me too. I mean, I think it's always different because um, you know when I talk about busing and the riots and stuff, I mean it wasn't they didn't burn down buildings and stuff. I don't remember any of that. I just remember that you know there was things going on, but like what we're experiencing right now in downtown Louisville and and everybody shooting everybody. I mean, yeah, this is, this is, I mean, people have been shooting everybody since the gun was invented, but this is really weird. I mean, this is just a lot of random stuff and just people going off. Apparently the shooting just yesterday was over a pair of shoes, Mm -hmm. which we've seen before. Yeah. But you would think at this point in the world, we've gotten beyond that, but we haven't. Yeah. You would hope so. But like, we also haven't gotten beyond poverty. We haven't gotten oh, no. behind, beyond any of the things that are really causing a lot of the upheaval that's taking place. No, no. Know? And a lot of times, <laughs> what I've said, and you know, I said in churches, we're we're looking at a time when we're trying to get racism mm-hmm. away, and we're trying to say, look, it's it's done. We need to get off of racism. That's but people are getting more and more racist because of the attempts to try to get us not racist. Yeah. That's actually, that's definitely happening, isn't that? It's weird. And I think, I like to listen to a lot of like public intellectuals and people whom I think of as being really, really smart. They're not necessarily conservative or progressive or or any type of particular way of thinking. I'll listen to any person's perspective. And they're all kind of saying like, we need to realize that this is happening. Like identity politics is forcing us to look at a person based off of superficial things that don't matter. Right. And we really do need to get back to viewing people based on the content of their character Mm -hmm. and that being the most important thing. And we have kind of shifted away from that. Yeah. But before we really get off the rails, uh, (laughs) which I'm, I'm I'm totally happy. We could have, we, I mean, you can get into some, you can get into the weeds there, but we can just ride on the crazy train. But you've mentioned twice, you know, about church and that's really, how we met. I remember you coming to speak at Valley View and I was hanging out with Wes and you were looking for people to play music and he was interested in playing music and I was just kind of like along for the ride. But that was in probably 2009. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was, was. 2009. <laughs> yes, Gosh. That's so, but, but that can't be when the idea for the life song started, no, right? No, it started a couple of years before we started the church. Um, I went to school, get my pastoral ministries degree and sitting in class, we actually, I read an article from a very famous person in the Baptist world. Um, don't wish to mention their names cause I respect them very, very much and was kind of floored that they even wrote this. But he actually wrote in his article that the millennials were so confusing and so hard to deal with, we needed to forget about them and just move on to the next generation as far as evangelism goes. And I was like, you can't do that. That's that's insane that you can even think that. We could take a whole generation and just bypass them. There's got to be a way that we can reach them. So watching other churches that had shifted the way church was being done, North Point Community Church, New Spring, 
lifechurch.tv, the Mosaic in California, all these big churches that were doing just tremendous stuff. It's like, why can't we do that here? Why can't we do that? Just start out small and just make that happen. So, um, so I got the idea of, of doing something like that, but but I never really thought I would ever pastor a church. It wasn't what I was going to school for. I was going to become what used to be called an education minister, which they don't have anymore. But um, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an education minister. And uh, people kept coming up to me saying, I heard you're starting a church. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And people just kept doing it. I heard you're starting this church. And I'm like, well, I guess I've talked about it. Why can't we do this? But I didn't know I ever said, I'm going to do this. So then we started really thinking about, should we? Should we you know, put this together? So I started laying out plans, thinking, what would this look like? And then the um, Kentucky Baptist Convention calls me and says, hey, we heard you want to start something new. And they said, we, we want to help fund you. And it was like, where did this come from? And it was like, this is incredible. So I went to school, I started my master's program, and during my master's program, we were laying out how the church would be formed, how it would be, you know, the bylaws and the constitution and all that stuff. And I was in class with Brother Joel, who was the pastor of Valley View, and Joel was like, man, when you're ready to start the church, Valley View will support it, you know, we'll be there for you. So it was like, great. So, um... We finally got it all lined out. I went to Valley View, spoke to you guys. Uh, we attended Valley View for about a year before we actually um, broke broke off with the Life Song. But um, spoke to everybody, said, "Hey, we really want to do this," and kind of made have people understand this is not going to look like what you have here. It's not going to be this type of church. It's going to be different. And the purpose is to try to reach people who say God doesn't care. We're going to try to reach people that say, well, what if I have questions? Can I come to your place if I have questions? Yes, you can. Well, what if I don't smell good? What if I don't dress well? We don't care. You just, we just care about you coming here and listening to the truth. So we started putting all this together. And it was funny because we had a tremendous amount of people from Valley View all go, yes, we want to help you. We want to support you. And I basically said, okay, well, basically what you have to do is leave this church and come to our church and help start it. And they all said, oh, no, we don't want to go anywhere. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, that don't help me very much. But there was you guys, you know, you and Wes and a um, few others that all just kind of said, yeah, we, we want to start something like this. This is, this is our people. It's like, definitely. So, and you think about it, when we got started to where we are now, it, we, it looked nothing like it did because our our dna our first thing said was we are not going to just stay the same we we are going to accept change yeah and that's what we've done i mean it's been 11 years yeah so we have changed along with culture um not that we are a part of the culture but we use the culture um but we've we've we paid attention to things and because at first we came out you know the grunge scene was kind of at its ending uh, but rap was being and huge and, and gangster rap was going and it was just, you know, a lot of stuff was happening. So we come in and said, look, you know, we're just really going to go bare bones and shorts and flip flops and T-shirts and the music's going to be grinding and it's going to be loud, but it's going to be worship. And you guys loved it. I mean, it was awesome. And uh, 
So we, we started that route, but then we started looking at things and going, okay, wait a minute. The rappers are the best dressed people in the music industry. You know, the chain, the clothes have changed dramatically. And then rap music started to become pop music. And it's like, okay, wait a minute. This is a huge change that's taken place. Grunge was kind of pushed to the side. And it, it, so we were like, okay, we got to make this change with it. You know, we got to make the change. So, um, we did a lot of different things to oh, come up to this point. Yeah, tons of stuff. Yeah. Now, I want to go back a little bit because you said you wanted to be an education minister. Yes. Was that influenced by your experiences in high school? I mean, like, because you were going to a high school that was associated with a church. Was it ran by an education minister? No. It no. wasn't? Okay, no. No, I just, for me, my, my, my gift that was given to me from God was teaching. I love to teach. I mean, I just had this drawn to teach the scriptures. I love doing that. And I, I love teaching Sunday school and I love doing that type of stuff. So that was like, you know, that's what I wanted. I thought I would do really well in that area. And that's what I was going to do. Um, so when I, when I became a youth minister, my first ministry job as a youth minister, I actually went to the church. They had hardly no Sunday school program at all. And I actually helped them set up and had Sunday school for all ages. And we actually were able to help them get that established. And I'm like, this is, this is kind of my thing. Mm -hmm. And then God said, well, why don't you just pastor a church? <laughs> I said, no, we don't want to do that. You're crazy. And he said, no, no, I think that's what you ought to do. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so, so we, we hit it and got it and been rolling with it ever since. And was your first degree... At Campbellsville University? Is yes. that where you went immediately? And was it right out of high school or did you wait no, until you were older? No, 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 dude. That's that, what I thought. Out of high school, I went to U of L oh, really? to become um get my degree in art. Because, you know, that's all I ever wanted to do is be a cartoonist. That's all I ever wanted to do. Um and a rock star. One of the two. Um, but but cartooning was my true love and I loved just doing that. And um but U of L the art classes were just so artsy fartsy beyond my realm. I was just like, I, I just can't get into this. I was like, this stuff just doesn't thrill me. I mean, I had to go to an art exhibit of this guy who had multiple paintings that all consisted of the, almost the exact same colors. It all had chicken wire in the paintings and they were just redundant. And I, we had to hear this. I had to write a report on this guy. And people kept saying, well, what, what were you going through at this point? I, it's, it's personal. I can't talk about it. <laughs> and he said that on every single piece. And I'm like, this is a joke. I mean, the stuff's not even good. I was like, I, just, I don't want no part of this. So I, I just said, this isn't for me. This, this fine art, artsy fartsy type of things, not for me. So I just started going into the work field and did job after job. And then Waterson College opened up and uh, Waterson College was legit and they had a graphic arts program. So I went, graduated from that and started learning all. But that's when Macintosh just came out. So we were running, just run, learning the basics of how to use Photoshop and, and these type things. And so you still did things by hand. But then you started to kind of pull the Mac stuff in with it. So now you do everything on the Mac. Yeah, you everybody's just, digital. You just do the whole thing on it. But anyway, so so I, I did that. And um, um, 
And and at that point is when my brother was working for an auctioneer. My father's an auctioneer. Uh, Auctioneers ran throughout my family, and he said, I need help. So I started helping him, and I kind of got drawn into that whole thing. And so I was kind of just over there doing the auction business for 10 years, I think. And then it became a point where God was more or less saying, look, dude, it's it's time. We're not going to do this anymore. It's it's time. So I was actually in my 30s. When you got your bachelor's degree? Mm-hmm. And what was it in? Pastoral, Pastoral ministries. ministries. And then I went on and got my master's in theology. That's really cool. You you know, I can relate to that a lot because it took me a long time to get a college degree. Um, and it was kind of a similar thing. I was like, I kept running into things that I thought I wanted to do that I didn't actually know that mm-hmm. I actually didn't like. Yeah. Just because I not thought, I not really actually thought about what I might enjoy doing. Yeah. I just been like, what what can I make money? Everybody says I need to make money. What can I do to do that? Yeah. And then later, as an adult, I started to think about it. I'm like, wow, what do I actually want? But you know, it's interesting to you talk about art because Seth said in his episode that you're the best artist that he knows. Who's the Seth you talk about? This uh, this young gentleman, um, Seth A. Jones. I'm an artist, a local artist. Well, I have to look him up. You should Google him. Yeah. But he's a big fan of yours. <laughs> he's a big fan of yours. Seth's all right. Yeah, I like Seth too. He's a good guy. We had a fun conversation. Yeah. So, this you started the process of putting together the life song. You're backed by another big church. You yeah. felt like you had this calling to create a a place for people who felt unwelcome in a normal church environment to come and feel welcome. Yes. And then you started doing that. Yes. And then you ended up with the biggest group of misfits in the entire universe. So here's what somebody told me once, because they're saying, okay, so what you're trying to reach are are pretty much the misfits, people that don't fit in. He said, you're, you're, they're, you're trying to reach people that don't know God, don't know Christ, and he goes, here's what's happened. God's actually fulfilled that. Now you've got a church full of people that don't know anything about Jesus or God. What do you do with them? You know, because I had no leadership along with me. It was basically just me and my wife. And we really didn't have anyone else to help us mature people in Christ. And it became a huge burden because um, every event took place at our house. Everything took place at our house. And um, because people were like, oh, we don't want you to come to our house. I don't, you know, we don't, we don't have enough money. Our house doesn't look nice. We don't, you know, we don't live in a good neighborhood. We don't, you know, it's all kinds of reasons. And it was like, man, we're just, this is struggles. I mean, it was just huge struggles. But then we started getting some folks and uh, that were Christians and wanted to help and wanted to be a part of it. And um, that was good. And and it helped out some. And, uh, but it just still seemed really difficult but uh we we got through it uh man it was some hard years but god never once ever said this is over he kept saying you just got to push through you just got to keep pushing through i'm like okay so we did you know it's 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 nuts i mean you think about the early days stuff we went through i mean it's crazy i mean we're in valley valley high school's auditorium remember Valley High School's auditorium, which is filthy dirty, and, <laughs> and the kids the kids would actually eat breakfast in the auditorium, and so we would have to go in in the morning, set up the band equipment, and clean it, clean the place up, and one time, one of the people's daughter, it's not funny, but 
one of the young single mom's daughter lifts up this thing and says, Mom, what is this? And it was a used condom. Hey. Oh, it was horrible. I'm not it was, surprised, though. It was absolutely horrible. But I'm sitting there thinking, this is why we're here. Yeah. This is the reason why we're here. And, uh, of course, she got really mad and upset about it. But I was like, I, you know, I'm sorry. I don't want your daughter to touch stuff like that. And it shouldn't have been here. But it makes you think, what's going on? You know, that this stuff is happening. And it's right here in this auditorium. So we need to really start looking at who we need to reach and how we need to reach them. So we're in the auditorium for two years. Is that and, all it was? I, yeah, it was only about two years. And, and then... Um, the Jefferson County public school system decided to give Valley high school a couple of million dollars to redo their gymnasium, which consisted of a new auditorium. And so they had to tear down the auditorium, which we were in. And we found out two weeks before they actually started doing demo. And so did the school. The principal didn't know. I mean, he found out the day that I found out. Yeah. And so it was like, you know, and they had a lot of stuff stored in the auditorium because of their medical program. Mm -hmm. they, they couldn't, they had to figure out where to move all that stuff. And we had to figure out where to move our <laughs> equipment and we had to figure out where we we're going to have church. And, and we were kind of like, you know, we'll just leave it up to God. We're not going to worry about it. So then we got, talked to somebody at long run association and they said, why don't you call Lee's lane? Said they're, I think that an old gym. They're not, it's not being used. Maybe y'all could use that till you find a place. It's like, okay. So we go down to Lee's Lane and we meet with the pastor and the deacons, which there was only, what, four deacons at the time. And uh, they were down to 25 people or less meeting in their fellowship hall. Sanctuary hadn't been used in, I think, a year or so. And they said, if y'all would like to use our sanctuary, go for it. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. This is crazy. But so we, you know, we told them, we warned them. We said, we're loud. They're like, oh, that's fine. First Sunday, they come up, you got to turn it down. And it's like, no, I told you we were loud. So we um, did a lot of stuff there. We were there for many, many years, did a lot of work there and um, grew, grew there. You know, we really did. And then they decided that they didn't want us there anymore, that um, they wanted to try to expand their ministry. And so they asked us to leave. So we packed up, not knowing where we're going, but I never worried. I never worried about it. So I went down to meet uh, Mr. Koppel, who was redoing St. Timothy's Catholic Church, and said, when can we move in? He said, <laughs> "He said next Sunday. I was like, okay, because we're headed this way. And we did. And we started out. They didn't have any chairs. Remember? We had oh, long yeah. chairs. We had no sound system. We had nothing. But we had worship service right there. And then from there, we just got to where we are today. So... You you can tell that story from the perspective of a person who kind of made it happen, but I can relate to that story as a person who, who observed it taking place from the inside. And, you know, to, for me to say that you're a person who's had a huge influence on me, watching your perseverance in the creation of the life song and bringing it to where it is today is definitely something that has influenced the way that I view how I need to move forward with anything that I'm passionate about. In the sense that you had, over the 12 years that the Life Song has been in existence, dozens of opportunities to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. Oh, I've, I've said that many times. Yeah. And you also had plenty of things that you started with a vision 
that did not <laughs> turn out the way that you had planned. No. And that's mm-hmm. exactly when before I may have given up. Mm-hmm. And But now even in the process of like creating this podcast or things that I do, I just do my best on them. And when they suck, I, I am honest with myself and say those things suck because of you. What are you going to change so that those things don't suck later? Yeah, I mean, you you have to constantly be involved, you know, evolving your stuff. I mean, uh, you have to look at okay, these are things I, I have to learn from. You know, if I, if if we live our lives and never learn, if we never make mistakes, we don't learn, and that's not the way we live. So we make mistakes, we see things fail, and we go, okay, I don't want to do that again. How can we do this different? And how can we do this different? How can we do this different? And that's that's been the thing. That's been how we do it. Do you remember? <laughs> let me ask you this. And this this happened on multiple different occasions, but there was one. There's one time I specifically remember this. We were we were at Lee's Lane uh-huh. in that that room in the back that they eventually turned into the Mark. So let, let's explain to people. So the Mark is a class for kids that are between first grade and fifth grade. And it is the mark because we're leaf, we're teaching them how to leave their mark on this world for Christ. So that's why it's called the mark. Yeah, and we were doing a Bible study in that room, and we were talking about something. And you asked me, you were like, "What do you want more than anything out of life?" And I was like, "I just want to feel content. I just want to feel like everything's in place, and then I am done." And you were like, "Well, that's dumb." <laughs> yeah, I was like, what do you mean that's dumb? You're like, no, that's not how it works. You're like, you need to constantly be striving and struggling towards something. I was like, why would anybody want to struggle? Why would anybody answer the question, what do you want out of life with? I want to struggle. I didn't get it. I didn't get it then. But you do now. I get it now. Yeah. I get it now. I don't like the truth. <laughs> but I have accepted it as truth. But, but you've watched, I mean, I, I, you know, I watched my parents as, as much as, you know, they had a home that was paid for, their kids are grown up, they've got kids. You know, life is, you would think at some point you say life is good, right? But then, you know, we're worrying about their health and they're worrying about the neighborhood. And it's like, they, they struggled and they struggled. It's, it's when they pass away and I know they're in the presence of God, the struggle's over. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're okay to be content. You know, that's, that's it, so. Well, for me, I think my parents' struggles were so much different than what I would be ultimately experience as an adult. Like, I don't have yeah, it's different. Dad. You know, but like the thing, the thing that's different about that is like, you just kept choosing and maybe you don't feel like it was a choice, but from my perspective, looking in, it just seemed like a choice. James is just refusing to give up. He's just going to persevere and he's just going to keep going because he's driven and he feels like it's what's supposed to happen. And lo and behold, the results of that were growth. What's my greatest fear? What's your greatest fear? I've talked about it. What's my greatest fear? And it's legit. It's a legit fear. Is it failure? Yes. Yeah? Failure. I, I can't. And then my biggest fear is f- failure with God. Uh-huh. You know, you asked me to do this and I failed you. Uh-huh. And I, I can't. I just, that scares me to death. Yeah? That that's, that's what would happen. 
So I, I do, I strive and push forward and forward, but I, I more and more surrounded by incredible people that are helping this move forward and realize, and I keep trying to tell everybody, this is not my church. This isn't my church. I could be gone tomorrow and it will continue on. This is his church, not, not mine. So I, I kind of get mad at people that go, well, James's church. And I go, no, it's not, <laughs> it's not my church. I don't own it. it it's nothing. It's, you know, that's not correct. So um, it's like, I, I've got to get it set up and, and get it ready for the next person who's going to lead it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's my church to lead as I follow Christ, but it's, it's, it's not my church. So I don't want to fail God. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to do it. And I don't want to fail anybody. I don't want to fail my wife or my child or, or anybody. So um, I just hate it. I hate failing. So every morning I get up, I get my toast and I place. Uh, spider solitaire because I have to win. <laughs> if I don't win, it's a damper on my day. So mm-hmm. I always go to a game. I usually always win. So I'll go play hearts and I usually always win hearts because I know how the computer throws cards down. Mm-hmm. So I can usually manipulate it to do what I want it to do. Nice. So I have a victory at the beginning of my day. So, all right. Now, if I have a time where I just fail every game, it's a hard day. Yeah. Because I'm like, this is this is not a good start. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if I can win, it's like, yes, today will be a victorious day. It's weird, though, that you just said the things you said to me because they are there's a juxtaposition there. Do you, I mean, do you see it? Like you were just talking about how important and valuable failure is. Yes. But also how frightening and much you despise it. Yes. What do you think? Is that what drives you? Is that what drives you to continue to improve and continue to try to be better? Is like you're hoping you'll fail less? I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah. I don't think maybe so. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I, when I look at the church, what drives me is still what God has called us to do. We're still doing. And we and, and there's too many people out there that don't know Christ for us to stop. I mean, we have brought in people, I mean, 80% of our congregation, 80% were either unchurched or de-churched. I mean, these are people that either never stepped foot in church before, or they used to go to a church, but it's been years since they've been, Mm because they just didn't like it anymore. And so creating a church that people would like, that people would come in and feel comfortable in, uh, a place where they could ask questions, a place where you can come in and not be a believer and be a part of us. I mean, that's, that's not found in a lot of places. It should be, but it's just not. So that's our strive. I mean, we're talking about, you know, we had a, someone who comes to our church. It took them five years. They, they attended our church for five years until they accepted Christ into their life. And that was fine with us. I mean, they were a part of our church. They were a part of our church family, whether they believed or not. They, we took them in. It was like, absolutely, prayed with them, went to the hospital with them, everything we could do. So it's just awesome to be able to do that. And that there's too many more people out there. There's people who are listening to this right now who don't think they could go to church, don't think they belong in church, but they know there's something. They know there's more to life than there is what they're experiencing. And I'm saying, come and experience the true experience of life, of Christ eternal. 
And I'm telling you, this is what Hannah, my daughter, said when we first got started, and I still use it to this day. The life song is not where you experience church. It's where you experience Jesus. And that's what people long for. So what are you sitting there for? Come on. Well, I'm just thinking, I'm thinking about when you think about a person who's pastoring a church, you don't often think about that person's job. But the entire time that you've been the pastor of the life song, you've had a job, a full-time job. I have a full-time position. And a family. And a family. And you've got your wife and your daughter who are Mm. living in this house. And every single weekend or probably during the week, you've got groups of people over. How did you deal with that? I'm sure it was a huge transitionary period. And and what did that look like in your life? It, it, how we handled it was we fought a lot and screamed a lot. Yeah. And now, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was it was hard. It was just very, very hard. And, um, and people don't realize how much of a toll on your marriage something like this takes. But, you know, being willing to hold on to our faith and realize God's going to do something, we were able to, you know, go on. But, you know, we... We experienced, and if you'll listen to Hannah's podcast with you, you she talked about how that was a struggle, and she turned to cutting, and that was a huge impact on us, you know, that, you know, but it wasn't, well, let's stop the church because that's happening. It was, okay, now how can we learn from what she's done to help other kids that are doing this? And so we really got to meet and know some incredible therapists that are our friends and I can call them and say, I've got a kid that's doing this. I've got a couple that this is happening. And they'll help them. You know, and of course, I mean, they're professionals, so they charge you. But they're excellent. And, and they do a tremendous job. And um, so we learn from it. You know, we go forward. So. And did you meet those people, like, dealing with your own challenges during that time? Because you talked earlier about the anxiety that you experienced. Actually, it, it kind of met some of them from school. Yeah. Because I took classes from them and got to know them really well. And um, and then we met some through Hannah's experience. You know, we started going to different people and started meeting people. Um, and then through the connection of just the church, um, yes, we started to kind of meet individuals and, and know. And then during my event that I had, yes, I met a couple other people and been able to use them as well for others. and. Um, so yeah, you know, life gives you stuff and you use it. Yeah. We talk about mental health and emotional health on here a lot. It's something that's just, it's no longer taboo. It's, it's safe to talk about the struggles that you're having in your mental and emotional health. And the reason that's safe is because it's universal. Everybody Mm -hmm. experiences at one point. Mm -hmm. So do you want to talk about your experience and what that was like for you? Cause it seems like for you, it was kind of like a out of the blue, just like, I guess, um, manifestation of these experiences that you hadn't really had before, right? No, and, and the funny thing is, I look back and see little little trigger points that I didn't know that's what those were. Yeah. Until it just completely just, you know, and basically what has happened was my brain is, re- is releasing the, I don't know which chemical it is, but it's the fight or flight syndrome. And my, my flight is fully opened Mm -hmm. and won't close. So it's constantly in this mode of get away, get away from the problem, get away from the issues, get away. And, and so that's just, and I was really, it was taken when my psychiatrist was like, you've got an extreme case here. 
And I'm like, what happened? <laughs> How did this happen? And, and so um, basically what we were able to figure out was, you know, I, I um, was having issues with um, the church where we were. I don't want to talk negative about them, but we, we had some major issues. Uh, my father passed away. Uh, eight months later, my brother passed away. And at the same time, I lost one of my jobs I had and um, was like, you know, and that's it, all that came together at the exact same time. It was all just there together. And uh, it, it was just horrible. I mean, I couldn't stop crying. It was just I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't go to work. I couldn't do anything. And going to church, preaching, I was faking it for months just just to get through because I, I didn't know how to handle this. And uh, I mean, it's it's just crazy stuff. I mean, you're you're talking every time the phone rang, I'm like, oh no, it's some bad news. I was scared to death to to, to pick up the phone, and um, and then I'm sitting at home and I'm watching, and they came on the television and said, we are going to have uh, the National Weather Survey is is having a test because it's becoming hurricane season or tornado season, and so we're going to run a test at ten o'clock. So you know, letting everybody know. And so at 10 o'clock hits, the tornado signals all go off. And I think, I mean, legitimately think, what if a tornado's hitting right now and everybody thinks it's just this alarm thing? <laughs> and, That's kind of legit though, yeah. And I was scared to death. I was like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, what, how, what do we do? Nobody knows there's a real tornado because everybody thinks it's just the test. And so, I mean, that's things that went through my head that, that was just crazy. So finally working with the therapist and the psychiatrist and getting my meds just right to help get the chemicals balanced, um, that's, it's made a huge difference. But occasionally it's, it wants to creep out. Occasionally you can feel it wanting to creep out. And uh, I've learned how to put it in place. And that's really cool. So, um, you know, it's not something I, I hear. Everybody keeps talking about their anxiety, their anxiety, their anxiety. And, everything, and I'm like, you know, a lot of things you all are talking about is just life and you just got to deal with it. Now, if you've got a true anxiety issue, I fully understand it. Okay. I've been through it, but also know you can get over it or you can work your way through it. I'll probably always have it, but I know how to work through it. I know when those events come on, I can feel it coming on. I take my deep breaths. I start thinking this is not real. This isn't really what's happening. It's just my anxiety coming up. I turn on the radio, sing some songs, it's gone. That's so, cool. Yeah, so you just you learn. Now, after having had that experience and being on the other side of it, how how does that feel? Do you feel like you're now a more prepared person, more do you have more confidence that in a situation like that if it were to arise again, you'd be able to handle it, be able to deal with it? Does that bring confidence? What does that do? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've had instances where I thought, oh my gosh, this is, is this my anxiety? Cause this is really kind of weird. I've never had this happen before. And I called my therapist and said, dude, we need to talk. And, um, and he was like, eh, dude, that's just life. Get over it. Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, but I also can recognize it in people and people I'll say, okay, what are you feeling? And I say, oh, this is happening. Okay. Then you need to go see somebody and other people. It's just like, you just need to face reality you know that life has got problems it's it's it always will well that's just that's the way it is yeah you know 
Because my wife always says, why has life got to be so hard? Because it is. It, it is hard. Yeah, it just is. It just is. And you know, it's not nearly as hard as it used to be for people. You know what I mean? People used to have to like murder animals <laughs> weekly just to survive. Sweet dirt floors. <laughs> yeah. If they had a ceiling at all with a floor underneath it, you know, yeah. they might have been sleeping in the rain. Yeah, so, but, but those people were probably happier. They probably were, James. But you want to know, you know, I've, I've, I've thought a lot about happiness and I've, I, I try to understand it. And that's why I'm still such a big fan of the life song. That's why having you on here was important. People who are listening to this. You think people are still listening? You think they've turned this off? Well, I probably would have. Yeah, but <laughs> I don't know. It seems like people are listening. I don't know. Uh, some people are listening. I don't know why. That's good. But it's cool. Yeah. But I want to encourage them to check out the Life Song. I'm going to be there. There are cool people there. Casey Ford is going to be there. Yeah. There's a community of people there who love and invest in one another. Yep. And that is the thing about the Life Song that, for me, that stands out the most. Yep. I mean, we we've our motto, our, our vision is to embrace. And that means to embrace anyone that walks through that door. Um and to embrace them with the love of Christ. So they, in turn, will embrace the love of Christ, and they will, in turn, embrace people to walk through that door with the love of Christ. And that's that's what we do. Um, we make that the forefront of everything we do. That's that's If we're not doing that, then let's just not do it. That's that's my thought. If yeah. we're not doing that, let's just not do it. So I've had a lot of people you know, say, let's do this and let's do this. And I'm like, no, that's just kind of an internal thing just and i just uh, don't like it so this year we'll have trunk or treat which i highly oppose really oh yeah i can't stand trunk or treat how come well i just never have liked it i just never have really liked it and and then we get to the point where bars are doing it and just everybody's doing it so i was just like i don't i don't want to do it but ladies wanted to do it and i said look if you all want to do it you can do it I, it's fine with me you do it. You do it. I got my own Halloween thing I mess with. So, so they did it, and um, it was you know it was successful. It was a lot of people in the neighborhood came, and it was great. And um, so they kind of made fun of me, and I was like, no, no, I I support you all. I just me personally. So this year, I said, if you all want to do it again, I asked them. I said, why do you want to do it? And they said. Well, because it's fun. It gives the kids something to do because of COVID. You know, they'll be able to go and get candy. And I said, okay, everybody's mentioned everything, but that we can show them Jesus. Mm. That needs to be the forefront first thing. So how do we do that? And that's what the conversation is we're having right now is how do we do that? And uh, of course, let's just bring it up since we talked about Halloween. Something the Life Song does that I don't know of any other church that does it. Maybe they do. But we have a Halloween service, and it is super cool. It's more of like a Halloween production, if you want to be honest about what it is. I mean, well, every church service, I suppose, could be labeled as a production. In a way. But this is more. It's theatrical. It is theatrical. Yeah. It, it definitely is. But we do worship, and we do have a message. Sure. You know, but it's uh, it's really our biggest draw it and it, you know one year is the biggest attendance we ever had more than christmas and easter and it's you know the south end of louisville loves halloween yeah i mean my goodness i mean this is the one of the biggest holidays of the year i grew up loving halloween i, I absolutely adored it 
And um, so the question is, how do you use what people call Satan's holiday as a way to reach people for Christ? And we actually figured it out. And so uh, it's been really cool. And so this year we have a plan. We have a, an idea of what to do, and it's going to be neat. And come. Yeah, that's exciting. We call it the death song. Is it gonna? What day is it actually this year? You know, I think it. See, Halloween's on a Saturday, so I think we're gonna do it the Sunday before. Really? Yeah, but well, we're still bouncing that around. Rather than doing it the first, that is a tough call, isn't it? Yeah, because then you're in. Then you're in November. Yeah, I'll say like with Christmas. Christmas Sunday is always the Sunday before Christmas. Okay. So if Christmas is on a Monday. You have it the Sunday before. Mm-hmm. If it's on a Saturday, you still have it on the Sunday before. Okay. So we just that makes sense to me. Yeah. But with Christmas, though, I feel like it's a little bit different in the sense that if you're gonna, if, let's say it's on a Saturday and you're trying to have Sunday service the day after Christmas, nobody's coming to that. Everybody's gonna be home <laughs> with their be families. Hard. It'd be harder. Yeah. I guess. I guess people would probably make a point of it, maybe. So I don't know, but that's a tough call. But everybody out there who's listening to this, it's super fun. There's definitely going to be costumes. Wasn't there like explosions one year? What have you? What are the, some of the crazy things you've done? There's definitely a light show one year. Well, let's see. The first year we did it, we had a funeral. Um, I was a Victorian undertaker. Yeah. And we laid somebody to rest. Yeah, that big coffin. We had a big, huge coffin at the front, and people actually freaked out over it. Nobody was in it, but they freaked out over it. So we had a big casket, which was really cool. The second year was really neat as Satan actually gave the message. And that was uh, <laughs> that was awesome. We started out by doing... Um, Hell's Bells. Hell's Bells. Yeah, Matt Slusser sang Hell's Bells. Yeah, yeah he knocked it out. Goodness and, gracious. I played drums on that song. That was really fun for me. Then. Oh, yeah. And uh, so Satan came out and actually thanked... The Christians for being hypocritical and treating people the way they do and how they sin and get people involved in sin and just and hide their Christianity. And it was really, it was kind of rough. And, uh, <laughs> was that the biggest year, the, the year of the biggest attendance, or was that last year's? Uh, it might have been. Yeah, that might have been. There was a lot of people there that year. And then after that, we did the Apocalypse, where we had everybody... Um, Wearing gas masks and the end of times were happening. We were waiting on the big war to actually take place. And uh, so that was pretty cool. And my sister dressed up for that one. Yeah. Jared. Yeah, they both did. Yeah. And then, oh, then we did the clowns. The clowns is creepy, man. And the clowns were great. The clowns were were really good. Um, Yeah, we did the festival of clowns and... um, We put somebody in an electric chair and we killed them and we... Put somebody in a cannon and shot their body parts out. That was the we, explosion I was talking about. Yeah, yeah, that was it. That was that was a crazy one. And a lot of people that was their favorites because it was creepy. It was creepy. Well, clowns are creepy, and then yeah. these were creep, creepy clowns. Yeah, it was creepy clowns. So that was that was pretty wild. So I'm sure you got a big one planned for this year, but I'm not going to ask you to describe it. People, if you want to check it out, you're going to have to come actually check it out. Yep. What's the address for the church? Ten three hundred Lower River Road. Now, don't get confused because some of the Google Maps or something actually put it in the wrong spot. Really? If you're coming off the Green Belt, it is where Bethany and Ashby come off. It is the road that connects the two of them closest to the Green Belt, and we sit right in the middle of the block. 
but you can also come off Dixie, come up Bethany or Ashby. And once again, we're the street, Lower River Road is the street right before the Green Belt. And we're mm-hmm. in the middle of that block. It's the old St. Timothy's Catholic Church. I didn't know, I don't know if that church was even in function in my life. It, I mean, it had been closed down for 17 years. Yeah. So, you so I was don't very remember young. Nothing. Yeah, you don't remember it, but it was horrible. I mean, it was a mess. And uh, oh, dude, I remember seeing it. Oh, I remember going in there when they had it gutted. Yeah, and then uh, that was the way they bought it. That was how they bought it. They they bought it that way. Oh, really? And it was sad. And uh, but they they the couples did a wonderful job. Went in there and redid it. And um, we'll give them a shout out if you're looking for a wedding venue. They have five or six to choose from. So there's the venue and. Um, Valley Hope Center. That's another one. Okay. Anyway, go ahead. Well, I guess my next question is like, what's, what in your mind is next for the life song? Or do you have a a plan? Well, I I don't have a plan because I mean, my plan is we constantly strive forward and, and constantly improve and, and get better and better and better what we do. Um, because right now our, our thing we've done lately is we've gone online and our services are online and those are improving every week. Um, if we're first, they were rough, you know, but we're getting the music to sound a little bit better and it, it's hard when you don't have thousands of dollars worth of equipment. So, um, we do the best we can, you know, and the guys that are doing that, Jeremy and, and Ronnie, they're doing a great job. So if you want to watch the service, uh, before you visit, we, uh, you know, do so go to our, li- our uh, website, uh, the or you can find us on Facebook and you can watch a service and, um, uh, so that's big. That's been a big part, especially during COVID mm-hmm. that we've gone online. Um, so we love to find our own building, but that takes a lot of money. Yeah. But we would love to have our own building uh, to be able to do everything we want to do. And um, I would love to have um, the life care counseling center. Uh, I'm, I'm huge on that. Would love to have that. And then I would love to eventually have an apartment building that we can bring in people off the streets give them a place to live. We give them a job at the church to help build up. And we, we teach them how to do their funds and how to do a budget. And after a certain point in time, we, we help them find their own place. That's just cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, you know, there's a lot of things I wish we could get to, but it's, we'll see, we'll see where we go. Yeah. But uh, we need support. We need help. We need people. And, uh, but the biggest thing is I, I really, our big thing has always been, I, we're not trying to draw people from other churches. We're, we're trying to bring in people who don't know God and, and teaching them what it means to be a follower of Christ. That's what we're trying to do. So yeah. that's us. So that sounds like you check out the life song community church. That would be awesome. You guys seriously didn't think I'd let you get all the way to the other side of this podcast without sneaking in a quick ad for James's nephew, Seth. You've heard me talk about him before. He's an awesome local artist, and he is a member of the Just Friends podcast community. Guys, I got sad news. If you wanted to contribute to Seth's most recent art show Kickstarter campaign, Animalia, it's over. You missed it. I know, it's a bummer. But it's no excuse to not be continually following Seth on all of his social media sites. You should be tuning in to Ragamuffins. It's a bi-weekly webcomic that Seth does. It's hilarious. If you've got kids, it's going to be right up your alley. You're going to chuckle regularly. And sometimes it's heartwarming. You never know what you're going to get. Always wholesome. Lots of fun. 
And so you don't miss the next art series too, check out Seth's Instagram page, Seth A. Jones, or his Facebook page, capital S period space A period space Jones, and follow his stuff. Guys, it's cool stuff. And he's a cool guy. And then when you're finished, come back over to Just Friends and let's chat about how much you love it. It'll be a blast. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. So let's talk about when you when you first started coming to the Life Song. Um, I would say probably within the first year or so, I I thought I was going to have to beat you up because I think you had a crush on my wife for a while. <laughs> I I do really love Sherry, like not in a totally platonic way, just so that you feel comfortable with that. Well, okay. I'm not trying to steal her away. But I am in love. I really am. Bec- and I'll tell you why. There was this one specific Sunday. We were still at Valley High School. And this girl that I was dating had broken up with me. And I was devastated. I was just feeling absolutely demoralized. I was just heartbroken. And I remember just like, Sherry just walked up to me and smiled. I started crying. And she just gave me this big hug. And she was just like, I love you. It's okay. And so warm and so motherly and nurturing. And that was exactly what I needed. So from that moment on, I was just like this woman, I love this woman forever. <laughs> she's awesome. Yeah. She's the bomb. Yep. She is. Yeah. She's going to hate that we're talking about her, but Sherry, why? She's so amazing. Why? What made you think that I was in love with her? I think one time you said, if I was older and you weren't married, I'd marry you. <laughs> I probably would. I think you said that once. I mean, I don't want you to feel threatened, James. I, you know, I don't <laughs> feel threatened. I mean, you have a gorgeous bride, and you're not going to do anything to jeopardize that. But I do love Sherry, and uh, forever I will, no yep. matter what. Yep, she's awesome. She's a bomb. So I do know what was fun with you coming to the Life Song was your love for music. And my love for music. And you love the Beatles. I love the Beatles. Now, Casey Ford has a brain dysfunction where he doesn't like the Beatles. But we'll give him, you know, he likes Leonard Skinner. And they're, they're all right, as long as you get rid of Freebird. Tired of that one. But um, it was it was neat watching you uh, play songs that weren't even of your generation. You know, you, you did some really cool stuff. And that, that was really neat to watch. Um, what was the one song you did? Oh, it was during the, we did the series. Was it an Elvis song? No, no, no. It was the series we did on Francis Chan's book. Crazy Love. Crazy Love. Oh, you did the song Crazy yeah, Love. Yeah, I did the song Crazy Love. I yeah. love that song. Yeah. I guess that is kind of the most obvious place to go next is like music. Because I don't know if a, everybody listening knows, but that was my role for quite a long time. It was mm-hmm. It was interesting for me because it started off. I'd been playing guitar for a long time, but I wasn't great at it. But the life song was the first place where I really had to start learning. I had to start getting better. Mm-hmm. And it really basically just came from responsibilities. So I remember I told this story. One of, one of the things that I'm most proud of is when we all came to the life song at the building we're in now. Mm-hmm. And we were like, we've got these holes cut. You were like, here are these boxes. Can you wire up all of these plugs and run them to the snake? And I was like, no. 
<laughs> I don't <laughs> I don't know how to do that, James. And you're like, well, try to figure this out because we definitely need to have all of this hooked up by Monday. And like, I got it done. Yeah, you did. I got it done. I figured it out. Yeah. That was a transformative moment for me. It, it may have only, it was only a couple of years ago, but it was just one of those things where I was like, I have to get this done. But you see, I don't remember you saying no. It was just like, I think you're like, I don't know how, but I'll figure it out. I'm like, I know you will. Yeah. And you did. In my head, I was thinking, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to be able to do this. Yeah. You can. I'm not going to be able to do this. Yeah, you can. So many, so many different times in my life, you have been motivational to me because you said something in a letter of recommendation that you wrote for me one time. And you said, when Mitch sets his mind to something and says he's going to do it, he's going to get it done. And that was not a, a way that I thought about myself oh, yeah. for many, many years. I didn't think of myself that way. I thought of myself as a person who would give up or a person who took a long time to grow and to learn. But what I realized is just some people take longer to reach certain milestones than others. Yeah. Just don't give up. Yeah. Just keep pushing it. And so this, I mean, like it has to be said that this podcast would not exist if it weren't for you and the life song for multiple reasons, not just the fact that Probably that mic and that mic actually still technically belong to the, the life song, but yeah. also just because I would not have known how to do any of this stuff. I would not have known the types of microphones to get. I would not have known what an XLR cable was. I would have had no idea how to do any of that stuff if I hadn't been put in those positions. So thank you. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. the challenges that you placed in my life and the support that you gave me to learn and grow from them. And you have been a huge influence and a very strong male role model in my life from the time that I was 19 years old. And I appreciate you a lot, James. <laughs> well, that's cool. Yeah. I never really thought about any of that. So it's neat to hear it. But uh, I do appreciate it. And um, I'm always there for you. We told you that. We we're always here for you and Sarah and Winnie. So. So we can talk about this. I mean, I'm not, I don't mind. We can go into it as far as we want to, but you know, I stopped playing music at the life song and it's just because where I'm at in my life now, I don't feel, I feel like it would be disingenuous and it would be a, a testament of low integrity for me to continue to stand up in front of people and be dishonest about like how I'm feeling or what I'm thinking. But Something I appreciate so much is that, you know, even since then, like I, I still come to church every Sunday. It's a family. It's a body of people whom I love and whom I value. I've never felt excluded. And that's just really important to have that community of people that you value. Absolutely. You know, and, and being able to help, <clears throat> being able to help is so important to me. Right. Like I know that that there's value that I bring and I would hate to 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 bring it anywhere else yeah. like Sarah's like you know in what if you know because her parents go to a different church in like prospect she was like would you want to go there maybe you could do something they're like no, no. <laughs> it's a long drive <laughs> well it's a long drive but I'm just like no it's not my family there my yeah. family's not there my people are not there yeah I'm like I could go to them and give them you know, invest in them and give them the resource of like my brain and like the, the capabilities that I have and things that I'm able to accomplish. But I don't want to give them that. 
I want to give that to people that I love and people who love me and who invest in me. And see, this is this is what happens when you told us this, and you aren't going to lead worship anymore, and that you were questioning things. See, I failed. No, you didn't. Oh, oh, see, see, you don't understand. I felt God that you fell out of faith. No, nah, you didn't. And, and that's that was that was huge for me. So wanting to come down here and do this, it was like, I don't know if I should. Yeah. Because I failed you. And you no, keep saying you I didn't, didn't. But that, you know, I, I so I you know, I'm constantly thinking, how do I because of course as far as I'm concerned, and I think for a lot of people it is that God is true and truth and real, and Jesus was true and truth and real. And I have seen miracles happen that you can't explain other than the fact that Jesus lives. And and I don't know how you could be a part of that and say, I don't believe. You know, it's hard for me to, to grasp other than the fact that you have become very intellectual. You have, you think things out tremendously. And so people who have a scientific brain, um, educational type brains, they want proof. They want, they want, okay, show me proof, which is funny because a lot of your intellectual people out there, what they believe in, there really is no proof of, and and it's all theory. It's all theory. So it's kind of like, okay, so are we those who believe in the faith, are we actually smarter? <laughs> you know, it, it's it's kind of weird. It's it's how do we twist it and turn it? But but still, I mean, we have seen people cured of cancer. We've seen. I mean, you look at the one gentleman whose leg he's diabetic, and and his leg is a mess. And doctor came in and said, "It's we're going to have to amputate it. That's there's no anus or butts. It's a mess. We're going to have to amputate it." Second doctor comes in, says, we, we have to amputate it. Third doctor comes in. Guess what he said? And you have to amputate it? You have to amputate it. So then I come in, visit them in the hospital room, him and his brother. And I said, what do you all want? And they said, we want to save the leg. Okay. So me and my nephew, Zach, were in there. And we prayed. And um, I actually used anointing oil which that's a long story. To, well, not a long story, but if you don't understand anointing oil. Um, but I anointed the leg, and we left there going, oh, it's not going to be amputated. He still has it. This was this was five years ago. He still is using his leg. I mean, the doctors are said we can't explain it. He's, you know, it's still a mess. It's still, he's still diabetic, and it's, and there's always a risk of something going wrong. But where they were saying it needs to go now, they're like, yeah, it's it's fine. It's fine. And then we've had two people with cancer that uh, one gentleman, uh, literally, they gave six weeks to live. Six weeks. That was it. They said his body was just riveted with cancer. And so the elders of Valley View were called and the family called me as well. And we went over and laid hands and anointed him as well. We prayed and prayed and prayed. And um, two weeks later, the doctor said, the cancer is gone. We can't find any of it. It's like, okay, how, how do you explain this? <laughs> this is pretty cool. And then we have a gentleman who attends our church now that uh, um, 
he kind of fell out of, he was a Jehovah witness and he left that faith. He didn't believe in it anymore and uh, was questioning all faith. And so I asked his daughter, uh, he was in the hospital with cancer. I said, is it okay if I go visit him? She said, yeah. And I said, well, what about praying with him? She said, well, you might want to ask him first. I said, okay, that's fine. So I go and I meet him, very standoffish, you know, and it was kind of like, why are you here? And, but we talked and it was pleasant. And then I, at the end, I asked, I said, is it okay if we pray? And he's like, yeah. So we prayed. And then uh, his daughter kept telling him, said, the church is praying for you. The church is praying for you. And the cancer went into remission when the doctor said it wouldn't. And it, it, it did. And we're like, oh my gosh, this is, and we're seeing Jesus at work. And we've seen other things happen. And it's like, this is, this is living out the true faith. You know, it's awesome. It's just incredible. And it scientifically can't be explained, but we can explain it and it's truth. So, um, I don't know. I, I digress at this point. <laughs> I mean, I would, the reason why I would say you did not fail me is because I do pride myself on trying to be a deep thinker. I spend mm -hmm. a lot of time trying to avoid, to, to, to be an effective thinker. You know what I mean? Like anybody can think thoughts, but like, yeah. do your thoughts have value and, and are they based on, you know, investing in learning and trying to understand, or are they just something that you heard that you, or that you made up or that, you know, somebody told you that you need to think. And people in my life that I value the most are those types of people who think for themselves. Mm -hmm. I think that you're one of those people. And so, you know, we may disagree on some things. They're small things. If I'm being perfectly honest, they're very small things. They're, they're hugely important things to you. Mm -hmm. The big things, we're st we still were the same. And a lot of those values that I have came from you and came from my relationships with you and people at the Life Song. And they bring so much value to my life that mm -hmm. I can't imagine thinking of you guys as failing me. Mm -hmm. But I am a person who is going to think for themselves. Mm -hmm. Um but I don't know how else to be. Yeah. I don't and, know how else to be. You know, and, and I know like you, you came and, and you were talking about Alistair Crowlister. Alistair, how do you say his name? Alistair Crowley. Crowley. Is that yeah. his name? He's a weirdo man. Oh yeah. But see, I knew him. Yeah. Not personally, but uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Page bought, yeah. bought his house because Jimmy Page was into what is not known. Yeah. And actually on the second album, no, take it back. The third album, if you get the original first pressing, he's actually scribbled a one of Alistair's um, uh, spells. Spells, yeah, on the on the, around the record, around the 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 whole of the record, the label. And so, a friend of mine actually had that. Yeah, actually, and we saw it. I mean, you can actually see where it's scribbled in in the pressing of the album. So he was heavy into that, and of course, that's where John Bond died was in that house. Yeah, and a lot of people say, "Is it because of the evil stuff that was going on there?" And of course, Jimmy Page always kind of had that weird thing. If you've seen the movie, the song remains the same. He kind of does that weird, evil time, weird thing. Like a, he's kind of like in the occult, strange things. Yeah, like but that. He, but he never believed in the occult. It, it's yeah. what was right. He never believed in it, but he was fascinated by it. You know, it's like okay, that's that's you know, and so you do look at those things, and you have to say to yourself. You know, how much of this, is it real? Is it just people's minds? Or is it really, if this is true, 
and, and these things can happen, then the other side has to be true too. You, you can't have one without the other. You can't have good without the evil. You can't have yin without yang. Yang without yang. You can't have chocolate without peanut butter. You can't. But, At least you shouldn't. Oh, yes, you should. Reese's cups. Mm-hmm. No, I'm saying you shouldn't have chocolate without peanut butter. Oh, yes, that's correct. You could. I would, you... I would agree with that. So I would say to anybody who is questioning, anybody that says, I think you're crazy, um, a brilliant mind was C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. who was a scientist, brilliant mind, um, pick up uh, Mere Christianity. It's kind of a hard read because it's an old English. Yeah. And a lot of people don't like it because it is such a hard read. But- the truth he lays out, it, it's a, it's just an incredible book. It's really short too. And yeah, it's not real long, but it takes you a little bit to read it because it is old English. But but it uh, makes and it's a book that makes you think. Okay, it's not. I'm going to tell you what to think. It's a book that says, "Here, I want you to think mm-hmm. about this. Think about this." And it, it's awesome. It's one of my favorites. Um, it's great. The reason I'm into Aleister Crowley is because because I think it's so wacky that a dude who wrote spells to summon demons and did all this crazy junk in his house, had such a huge influence on the scientific community in the early 1900s. It blows my mind that the same people who created NASA were in this dude's house with like Ouija boards, like trying to cast spells and stuff like that. That's just so outside of what my expectations would be of that type of community. It's it's, so interesting. But see, there's so many things out there we don't know. Like right now it's coming out that in Hollywood there is an underground satanic worship that has been kept secret for years and years and years. And it's like, is this true? Is it really Hollywood like this? And then we got the whole Epstein thing. Yeah, and it's like, crazy. Oh my gosh, these actors and actresses are coming out that they were they involved in this children thing? I mean, what are they not? Were they what is going on? You know, what has happened? It's it's just it, it's it's unreal. So with that, would you like to ask questions about being cremated? <laughs> that is my Holy other, crap, James. That is my other job. How did I miss that? I mean, I get to baptize people with water and with fire. So it's awesome. You work straight up in the crematorium, right? Yeah. Like right, I mean. I push you in. Goodness gracious. Yeah. How big is the machine? Machine is pretty, we just got a state of the art. um, It's like the best machine on the market. Uh, It's incredible. Um, But it's, it's like a very extra large pizza oven. Yeah, it's it's I mean it's large. Mm-hmm. I mean you gotta be able to get. I mean I was cremated a six hundred pound body, and there's room for more. I mean I can get more in there than that. Uh, we do you do do one person at a time. Oh, you do one person at a time. Oh yeah, you have to. I guess because you don't well, want people's remains to become mixed in with other people. Right. You don't want Aunt Margaret to go where Bob Jones was supposed to go. And why well, you know. care? I, mean, I guess people do care. People well, really yeah, you care. I wouldn't care. Yeah, absolutely. So we we are very it, it's it's pretty cool because I can tell you that the paperwork is much more demanding than the actual cremation mm-hmm. because we keep it so straight on where the body is going and being cremated and where the ashes go and it's I mean there is a train of paperwork to make sure it is kept perfect as we can possibly keep it. So it's it's neat. 
How hot does it get? It can get over 2,000 degrees. It goes all the way to ash, right? Bone and everything? Well, the bone, um, basically what you have left over is ashes and then you have bone left over. And the bone is very, very brittle because what you basically have done is you've removed all moisture. Yeah. All moisture is gone. So um, you can touch the bone and it just crumble in your hands. And uh, also it's all pure. It doesn't matter what disease you had. I mean, you're, you're being cremated at 1,650 degrees up to 2,000 degrees. Um, you, you're not going to have, there's no DNA, there's no illness, there's no virus, there's no bacteria, there's nothing when you come out of there. You're as clean as can be. And, uh, but it, the bones are very brittle, and they actually go into a processor, which actually turns them into dust or, or little, little sand-looking um, ash and then you're putting our urn and you're blessed to go on your way you've had a lot of cool jobs we didn't really talk about any of them i mean but you've had a bunch of cool ones you were an auctioneer i was an auctioneer what was the coolest thing you ever sold at auction oh my gosh any cars any cool cars or anything like really rare no we did mostly industrial and commercial stuff okay so we we've you know we did excavators and bulldozers and uh, things like that. Um, we did uh, a lumber yard, sold a lumber yard. That was pretty cool. That was in Lexington, sold that whole place. Did you have the auction there? Did you just go there and then just sell everything that was there? Yes, we actually That's pretty cool. We went in and we um, started the sale by selling the property itself. And then we moved on and sold like the company vehicles. And I think at one point we had two auctioneers going. One was selling lumber and the equipment, uh, machinery, and the other one was selling all the office items because it was a big place. And uh, so we. And you sold. did that for ten years. Mm-hmm. When did you become a used car salesman? Then after that, used car salesman actually came out of um, high school. Oh, really? Uh, so it was like right away. Well, I mean, I, I was in a grocery store situation. You know, it's the first job out of high school. And then I started working with Barry's. Barry's dad uh, worked for a um, sheet metal company, and uh, he got me on there. And I worked second shift, and and then uh, and then from there I went to car sales. So much fun being a used car salesman. You're the second person that's told me that. Yeah, it's different. It's a different world. Um, the way that Andrew, my other buddy, who was a used car salesman, described it, it was like it was a boys' club. Not in the sense that it was all male. I guess that's a bad way of describing it, but like it was. It was very juvenile in the way that people interacted. It was all about just making sales. As long as you were making sales, you were good. It depends. Yes, I can understand what he's saying. I, I can. Um, people would just do, be doing crazy stuff and saying crazy things and just big personalities. Yeah, but, but a lot of people didn't. Oh, a really? lot of people took it very seriously. Um, a lot of people you know, wanted to make sure families were treated right and yeah. taken care of. I mean, you have both aspects of it. Um, you know, you, we've, we've seen some weird things happen. Um, um, saw one salesman took a client to a strip joint and then he drove the car through mud and they were partying and it was like, what do you think you're doing? And they're like, he's well, I'm trying to sell the car. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that didn't really go fly very well with management, but th- most of the time it was for us, it was very seriously, you know, let's help you find the right vehicle. I mean, I actually sold a car one time. I begged the people not to buy it. It was a piece of junk. And I said, please do not buy this car. And he was like, I love it. 
I love it. And I was like, all right, then you have to promise me you will not bring it back. Yeah, I never see it again. And he said, no, no problem. He took it to his mechanic. His mechanic saw all these things that were wrong with it. And he still wanted it so bad he couldn't stand it. That's weird. That's a person yeah. who needs to really rethink their decision-making process. Yeah, and I said, dude, go for it. I, I, but I asked him, I said, please don't buy this car. Please do not buy it. And he's now he wanted it. So, you know, it depends on person to person. So, you know, that's the way it goes. And then you taught at Campbellsville for a little while, didn't I you? I taught. I was a university. I was a professor. And I taught um, in the educational ministry uh, classes. Um, so I love doing that. I actually did love teaching because um, that's kind of my thing. And so, you know, when I do sermons, it's kind of a teaching type thing. Um, so uh, I did enjoy that. And I worked at Campbellsville. I did marketing for the Louisville market and uh, missions. So talked to a lot of people and um, helped them get their education as adults. Yeah, that was a cool thing about Campbellsville is they had that program where you would take one class at a time, right? For mm -hmm. like six weeks and then you would do well, it's eight weeks. Eight they weeks. changed it to eight weeks. But um, yeah, it, it's really designed for adults. And um, it's it's really neat that you are able to have a job, have a family, and still attend class and be able to get through and get your program yeah. done. Um, you don't necessarily get it done any quicker, but you are able to do it. Yeah. That's what's great is you are actually able to do it. So um, a lot of good people going through that program. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was good. And this isn't even the first funeral home that you've worked at, is it? Actually, it is. Oh, first it funeral is? funeral home. I've worked, uh, you're thinking of, I, I started at um, Louisville Memorial Gardens. I started there as the uh, funeral coordinator, which meant that I made sure the right graves are being dug. Uh, you'd be amazed by how many mistakes was made there. Uh, but we'd catch them, fix them. And there was legitimate reasons why you would think that was the right grave. And um and you'd have to research it and find out. And so I, I did that. And then when the service came in, we would have anywhere from three to seven services a day. So you would have to make sure they got to the right spot to be buried. And you had to also direct them in a way so they could get out while another service is coming in. So there's a little bit more to it than people realize. Uh, but I did that for a couple of years. And then I moved into the office and I actually assisted the um um the the lady who actually ran fifteen cemeteries in the state of Kentucky. They're all owned by the same company, and I actually assisted her in helping run the cemeteries. Um, and then after that is when Campbellsville offered me my position for marketing and emissions, and I went there, and they paid for my school. So that was pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome. Um, You're unique in that way. You're kind of like a millennial in that way. You may not realize it, but. One of the things that I'm definitely certain of, um, we talked about uncertainty, but one thing that I am certain of is in order for a person like myself, a millennial, a young person in their 30s, maybe even younger, to be successful in the future workplace environment, you have to be ready to adapt. You are not going to have a job that you start when you're 19 and you retire from when you're 60. Yeah. Most people go through seven careers. Yeah. Now that's kind of crazy. But yeah, I look at my father-in-law who started at Philip Morris, I think at 19 and retired, you know, and he went made his way up through the ranks and had a huge success at Philip Morris and retired from there. And, um, he was like, 
you know, I would get you on, but there's no future. Right. And they shut it down. They ended up shutting it down. Mm -hmm. He knew that was coming. So, um, it's just, it's different now. It's just a different world. It is. It's weird. My dad worked for the same company pretty much my entire life. My mom worked in different places, but not many, but she was always doing the exact same thing. She was cutting hair. So that was what I thought I would do. I genuinely thought I'll, I'll get a degree. I'll get a job with that degree and I'll work that job until I'm old and can finally retire. I always thought I'd develop, I have a cartoon character, I have a comic strip, and I thought I'd develop that and I'd be doing that the rest of my life. Yeah. We'll be doing a comic strip. And then it was like, no, not so much. But my art and my love for art, I used it in every job I had. Yeah. So you are able, like even today as a pastor, of course I do a lot of the graphic stuff and all that. But creating the message is a work of art for me because it's a lot of people, you know, how long does that take you? 15 minutes? Now, it takes about eight to 10 hours to lay down a 30-minute sermon. I mean, you literally have to piece it together. And, of course, you have to research and grab the truth and everything else, but then present it in a way that people understand it. And then those who are seasoned in Christianity, you take them deeper. So it's there's a lot to it, you know, so— I do work more than two hours a week at the well, church. I would, yeah. Well, <laughs> I've spoken, you know, in front of people on yes. multiple different occasions. And the amount of work that goes into doing a good job is significant. Yeah. You you do have to research. You have to practice. You might not have to practice so much now. I do. You, do you, you still do? I like, actually go through. I try to at least twice before the actual message to actually run through it. Because what I try to do is what's called a mind map. Mm-hmm. Where you actually talk on this subject, which leads you to this subject, which leads you to this subject. Mm. And that way you don't have to really read your notes a whole lot. You do refer to them, but you have a mind map of where you're going. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. That's a really good idea. That's something that I'm going to start to try to to do also. I, 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 I do really want to start to try to compose podcasts. That's my next thing. Yeah. This is an interview thing. It's really fun. It's really easy. The process of getting the 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 thing built, and I, I needed to have something that I was going to create with it in order to even motivate myself to build it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is easy. I mean, this really is very easy. Talking's easy. Yes. Yeah. The editing process is not hard either, especially something like this. Like, there's not a ton that I'll take out of this. Yeah. But just think if you would have had a mind map. I mean, I don't know if you're right. going to have this on there, but if you had a mind map going, okay, where you, you know, where someone started where someone went, where, what was, you know, go through their life. Well, I do a funeral. Mm-hmm. I literally start with when they were born and say, okay, what was their childhood like? What was their young adult years like? How did they meet their spouse? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you literally go through the family vacations and all this stuff. And you literally try to create the person's history. And, um, and that's kind of like what you're doing, mm-hmm. you know, more or less. But and I do have a mind. I mean, like, there are definitely things that when I go into, I'm like, I know that I want to talk about this, and I kind of know when that event takes place in the chrono- chronology chronology of the person who I'm having on. Yeah. But I want it to be a conversation, and I want it to feel... Feel like a real conversation. Feel authentic. But, I, dude, I want to I wanna do something called Musing with Mitch, where I rant. I want to do a rant podcast. So what I want to do is where, like, I rant to Sarah, and the moment I feel a rant coming on, I record it on my phone, and then I spend time listening to that, synthesizing it, pulling out the parts of it that are really, really strong, and building upon those, 
taking the details that are originally weren't there because I was just ranting at my, you know, like into the thin air mm-hmm. and building those details in names, dates, places, that meaningful information um, and compose like an actual piece and then practice it and practice it and practice it until I can do it in one sitting in a way yeah. that is meaningful and then just doing it. Something like that. A lot of times that's how sermons written. Yeah. That's how, when I spoke at the life song, I recorded myself saying what I said out loud three different times and listened to it all three times. Mm-hmm. The only mistake I feel like I made that day. Oh. I feel like oh. if I'd had a timer right in front of me, I would have nailed it because the thing that I wasn't anticipating was to get to the end and it feel like I just started. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? That's common. I felt oh, like yeah. I just started. See, I don't time mine at all. Yeah. I, I never time them. Mm-hmm. I just I just pretty much know, well, this is what you just, you kind of know how much you can get in. Mm-hmm. I never have timed them. I mean, I just kind of, this is, just start here and this is where I end. And I kind of know how much content I can have in there. That makes sense. Yeah, you got yeah. a lot more practice. Yeah. I had practiced, I'd said that spiel three different times. And I'd gotten it to where it was like 22, 24. And like the first one I did was a little long, like 26. So I knew I was in like a good, solid place. But I got done and I got done with everything. I'm like, I haven't been talking for 20 minutes. I had. Yeah. But I was like, I've been talking for about eight minutes. I was like, I can't stop now. People are going to think I'm ridiculous. I should have just stopped. But here's the the best part. When you think you have done the worst message of your life and you think that was horrible. People will tell you that was the greatest thing they've ever heard. And you're like, what are you talking about? And then you do a sermon. You think, man, that was awesome. You walk off and people go, yeah, I didn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. So it's, that always happens. That's, that's well, always great. That's creation. Yeah. Some people don't appreciate it. Yeah. But we have, I mean, we've created an awesome podcast. How long is this? I have no idea. It's perfect. Yeah. It's the perfect length. Okay. I'm so glad that we did this. I'm glad you asked me. I had a blast. I'm glad that you brought it up. I, I legitimately would never have asked you, James, because I was like, he's not going to want to do this. <laughs> I, I compartmentalize things in my mind and I struggle to really see things that seem so separate to me mm. being blended together. I don't know why. It's just yeah. something that's wrong with me. Yeah. But I had a blast talking to you. Well, I hope so. hope it worked out well. It's I hope perfect. It's, you know, it's everything yeah. I could have ever imagined it being is beautiful. <laughs> You're silly. No, I had a blast making it. That's all that matters. Yeah, if well I have, good. If I have fun while I'm doing it, the people who are listening are going to enjoy it. That's well, what I've good. learned. So thanks for doing it, man. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I love you. Love you too. Bye. Bye. <laughs> guys there it is that's another podcast in the books i was so grateful that james came on i hope you guys enjoyed yourself i sure did remember if you're listening on apple podcasts or google podcasts i don't care where you're listening if you can rate the show and leave us a review please do so i'm still looking for some reviews to feature on the website and speaking of the website justfriendspod.com and speaking of the website justfriendspod.com check it out You can listen to this episode of the show. You can listen to past episodes of the show. You can learn a little bit more about me and how Just Friends came together. And you can even find links to merch 
or the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Mitch Makes Podcasts, where you can become a patron of the show for as little as $5 a month, and you can keep this train moving. I may have said that already in the intro, so I want to give a shout out to my current patrons, Ben Risen, Ryan Ray, Emily Brown, David Vandelberg, and Emily Berry. You guys are the bomb. I love you all. And everybody else, I love you all too. So take care of yourselves, be kind to one another, and make sure you tune in next week for another great episode of Just Friends. Bye. Bye.